Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11 and reading through verse 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The grass withers, and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Now, we spent the last few weeks considering Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And the big picture there that you were supposed to come away with was Paul basically laying out to especially his Gentile readers, but not ignoring his Jewish context either. He basically says, remember that you once were helpless. You were helpless. You couldn't do anything about the course you were on with the world. You couldn't do anything about the sovereign who ruled over you, namely the prince of the power of the air. And you couldn't do anything about your flesh. You were a helpless, enslaved, condemned people. And so there he then doesn't want to dwell, as I told you before, on the fact of what you were in your helpless condition. But you need to know that that's what you were. So that you will take to heart the realities of what God has done in showing you mercy, love, and grace. And he begins to discuss that at great length to where we came to that wonderful passage of 8, 9, and 10 last week. Well, now Paul turns around and, and now he wants to come and talk about not your helpless condition, but he wants to talk about your hopeless condition. You see, while it's true you were helpless, and these are the things that you found yourself in, he now says, remember this, that what that really looked like to be helpless was to also be cut off from the very means of salvation. You were cut off from the people of God. You had no part in them. You were in a hopeless place. Not only were you helpless, but you also had no means of coming to salvation. Because the only way one can come to salvation is through who? Christ, who was a Jew. And as I'll repoint out in just a minute, remember what Jesus says to the Samaritan woman. You worship what you do not know. We in Jerusalem worship what we know. For salvation is of the Jews. Messiah was a Jewish Messiah. And we need to come to terms with that. And we need to understand that. We need to really have ourselves really checked in some ways. Because I think there is, in the undercurrent of our culture... A really weird place, which I don't want to go too much into, but I think especially given the crisis that's going on in the Middle East right now, we need to have some perspective of radical Christianity, which basically every time something pops in the Middle East wants to say, oh, this is the end of the world, look for the Antichrist, where is he, where is he, where is he? 
And yet, John has told us in the first epistle, there are many in Christ. And so while we need to be thoughtful about these things, we need not to be spastic about them. <laughs> On the other hand, there is within our culture, among many, an anti-Semitic tendency, even in the church, that tends to view the Jews as these people who, you had your chance, brothers, and you screwed it up. See ya, wouldn't want to be ya. And that is wrong. These people are the very people who gave us the oracles of God. It is from that ethnic group that God called out of the nation a man named Abraham and made promises to which we have the privilege of being called into, which is Paul's whole point in Romans. And again, he's talking about it here in this section we're going to look at. There is no salvation apart from the Jews. Now, that can mean a lot of things, and we're going to talk about it, because Paul, even in his own time, realized that the Jews were confused about what that should look like, which is why we're going to look at this passage about the uncircumcision and the so-called circumcision. But what I want us to begin to realize is, is that when I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm not praying for that little city in a plot of land in the Middle East. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which is the people of God. That city which Revelation says one day, someday, will come down out of heaven. The city of God, the bride of Christ. It is a people, not a place. Or rather, I should say, the people have become a place. So I'm not overly concerned about a particular place on the planet over against any other place. But I am desirous to see Jewish men and women come to faith in their Messiah. And we should be too. So while we need to be careful of certain brands of Christianity which take us weird places, and of which I quite frankly grew up in, which is why I can say they're weird places, but also we need to be careful that we don't run the other direction and become people who despise the people of God. Any of the people of God. And I'm not saying that somehow Jews have, in this day and age, a more favored status, but somehow they do have a link into the heritage of the people of God, and we ought to have a burden for them, just as surely as we have a burden for the, the nations. And part of the reason why I say this, brothers and sisters, to conclude this little excursion, because I think it's important, is because I listen to Christians who say, well, if you knew what was going over in Jerusalem, or if you knew what Israel was really doing, you have sympathy on the Palestinians. See, men and women, we are the people who aren't caught up in all that kind of discussion. We ought to be proclaiming the gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike. And we ought to have the desire to see men and women come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to have compassion on those whom their heritage we share in. And that is the that we have become children of the living God. Heirs to the promises of Abraham, as Paul says in Galatians. And Abraham, men and women, was a Jew. So, let us then come to this part, which I want us to begin to look at too. Notice what Paul says when he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. What the first thing I want you to think about here is that what Paul was saying here strikes at the very vitals of where our generation stands. 
If you want to know how to deal with post-modernity, quote-unquote, or late modernity, if you want to start to think about world views, because everybody has one, the thing that Paul is really challenging you to think about here is life under a different context. Because quite frankly, if you think about who Paul is writing to in the, to the Ephesians, think about who he's writing to. He's writing to people who are part of the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, two empires to this day still captivate and have influence on how we live and govern ourselves. Still at the university level, if you would go on to PhD work, you must learn at least two languages, one of which is Latin. If you would study in biblical texts, one of the languages you must learn is Greek. These cultures, these realities pour out on us in the West day after day. We cannot escape it. The great thinkers, Plato, Aristotle, through them Socrates and others still have a hold. When we discuss things, you can't hardly have a philosophical conversation without at least talking about how you differ with Aristotle or Plato or their followers. It is part of the whole discussion within our culture. And the reason why I want you to begin to wrap your hands around that is realize then how striking it would be to these people who are heirs of Alexander and Caesar to hear that they were cut off. They were the ones that were outside. They were the pagans. Because actually the way Romans viewed pagans was anybody who didn't believe in the pantheon of gods, to them, they were the pagans. So realize this word was actually being turned on its head as Paul writes these people. That has to challenge us. Because I can assure you that no one down at the university willingly says that what happened in an obscure part of the world on a plot of land which was trampled on by the Assyrians as they tried to travel down and take over Egypt, or Egypt as they tried to go up and conquer the various kingdoms they were at war with. Israel was just this basic road to get to one place to another. And yet God somehow says that little obscure plot of land and this little fiefdom under which David and Solomon had their most glorious rule over Somehow, that little place is where all of history has turned. And that's an alteration in thinking. That somehow, the God of Israel, out of all peoples, would be the God. And that this obscure carpenter being nailed to a cross like so many Jews before him for being an insurrectionist, somehow was the savior of the world. Do you realize how transforming that whole way of thinking is? And do you realize, the main reason I want you to realize this is because, do you realize that when you tell that message to people at work, in your neighborhoods, and in other places, do you realize how crazy you sound? <laughs> You're telling me that this little obscure civilization is the great civilization. Yes. Before Christ came, that was the great civilization. That was the great people. 
that was the people who were not walking around in a helpless and hopeless condition. Now that has to reorient how we think. And see, that's really where Paul's trying to grab you and say, remember! Now then, my first point that I want us to look at is that in remembering, I want us to remember our estrangement from God, because that's what Paul wants us to do. And the first thing I want you to think about here is the fact that this is the first place that Paul has used an imperative. Everything to this point has been an indicative. You don't know what an indicative is, it just means it's a declaration. It's declaring a reality. But here he comes and says, now, this is what I want you to do. Some of you have been waiting on this, but it, it may be less than satisfying for some of you. Because what Paul tells you to do is remember. And in fact, he won't give you another imperative until chapter 4. Sinclair Ferguson is so overwhelmed by this, he says that literally what we have in Ephesians is almost an imperative free zone for the first three chapters. It's just declaration upon declaration upon declaration that somehow Paul thinks if you don't get this part... Everything else he's going to tell you to do is going to be screwed up. In fact, that's right. So, here where he gives us an imperative, he tells us to remember. And remember what? Remember who you were apart from Christ. Remember what you were apart from Christ. Remember how helpless and hopeless you were without Christ. Remember. And this remember is not a remember like, you know, remember it and then move on with the rest of your life. No, it's remember that you ought to be remembering often and frequently. It ought to be that when you are struggling and hurting and frustrated and can't figure out how to make sense of the world, remember. 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 I don't know about you, but I am frequently bombarded with emails of, People think you think you've got it bad, well, and then they give you this long diatribe of all the other people in the world that have it worse than me. And I guess I sort of appreciate that, but at some point, there's what really, and see, this is what I really want you to hear, what really helps me is to remember what I'd be if I didn't have Jesus. See, because that really is the hope for the Sudanese people who are living in abject poverty. The hope of those dear saints who live in that country and are persecuted daily. Their hope is not that they can get to come to America and live in our freedoms and have a nice house and drive a nice car and make a nice living. That's not their hope. Their hope is Christ. And it ought to be our hope, too. Whether we have a nice car, we have a nice home, make a nice living, our hope is Christ. My friends who live down on the Gulf Coast have no hope right now of having nice homes. They're just grateful for a dry trailer and, and a nice blanket and some food. They're grateful for a place to go worship anywhere. Their hope is not their homes. It's not their hope that God will never allow another hurricane to come to that place, although I assure you they pray for that frequently. Their hope So as we come to this passage then, I want us to think about the fact that that's the whole point that Paul says. Remember. Remember so that you don't forget where your hope really lies. Remember what you are without Christ. Remember who you are without Christ. Now one of the things Paul 
is talking about here is, is that he says that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, by human hands. That whole section there is Paul's reaction to Judaism. He's not speaking of the true religion of the Old Testament people of God. He's responding to the way that religion was running its course, both in its present day and the way it had been used. Paul here is not saying that circumcision was a bad thing. He's saying that circumcision can be used in a bad way. That's really what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that the emptiness of this sign is seen when it's not a part of true faith. And see here what he begins to talk about is the fact that the Jews, if you remember Jesus says to the Pharisees, you not only block the what you not only are not going the right way, but those who try to enter into the kingdom, you block their way. You make them a proselyte. You bring them into your viewpoint, and they become worse sons of hell than they were before they got started. In other words, what Paul is saying is to be a false Jew. In other words, to be a Gentile who converted this view of Judaism was to be in a worse place than you had been when you were just a rank pagan. I'm not trying to promote here that there are levels of hell. There very well may be. But Jesus says you're a worse son of hell if you're following a false Judaism than you were when you just didn't know any better. And we're just pagan. And so Paul runs that same idea here. It's the idea that you're dealing with people who can not necessarily be a part of Israel, even though they're a part of Israel. And I want you to think about how Paul talks about that. Paul evaluates both Jews and Gentiles as needing something more than outward circumcision. And this is what we need to think about in the need of circumcision of the heart, Paul says in Romans 2, 28-29, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So we see here that Paul is teaching that being Jewish, Jewishness, if you will, is found from being a person who is filled with the spirit of the living God. Jesus himself takes this on when he says, when he's told that his mother and his brothers are outside waiting on him, he says, who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Who is my mother? All those sitting around me who do the will of God, they are my real family. They are, if you will, the true circumcision. Because circumcision is not merely about the cutting of the flesh. The cutting of the flesh was a sign of the fact that you had your heart circumcised. And Paul writes in Colossians about what that circumcision really is. In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And where was Christ circumcised? On the cross. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Do you hear that? Paul is saying circumcision in this outward form is not that it was bad, but it's been abused. 
And the problem is, is that in the New Testament time, what we have is people who are constantly refusing covenant signs and seals to their children and others because what they're looking for is a correction of abuse. Since when has the correction of abuse ever been to completely abstain from the thing that's being abused? That's crazy thinking. And that's the same thing we do when we basically say with circumcision, Paul is not suggesting here that what he's saying is that the Old Testament people that gave it to their child on the eighth day and to all those who converted into them was somehow a bad thing. What he's saying is it's been abused. It's been wrongly used. And in fact, what he's trying to tell them now is it's almost not anything to talk about anymore because we've come into the new creation. We've come into the new people. We've come into the new kingdom. And there are new signs and there are new seals. But as I continue to tell you, men and women, there is a suspicion among God's people. And therefore, we have whole groups of people who deny children the sign and seal of the covenant. Why? Well, how do we know if they're really going to be believers? Well, how do you know people who make professions of faith when they're 25 years old are going to maintain the faith? How do you know that a 12-year-old is going to maintain the faith? How do you know a 5-year-old is going to maintain the faith? How do you know that? How do you know a 70-year-old person is setting views? For 50 years, he finally walks the aisle and says, you know, I've said it for 50 years. I was baptized when I was 12 years old. I prayed a prayer and I never really understood the gospel before. Again, I try to tell you, men and women, the signs and seals of the covenant, what Paul is not teaching here is a doctrine which says, until that person, we really know they really have circumcision of the heart, then we might let them kind of really become special people in the church and we give them the signs and seals of the covenant. Absurd. It's not what he's teaching here. What he's teaching here is the fact that those who put their hope in the signs and seals over against what the sign points to. Circumcision was pointing to the cross. The sign that reminds us of the cross is baptism. Jesus was circumcised and baptized on the cross. His circumcision was the cutting of his flesh. His baptism was his own blood. And that's exactly what Paul teaches us in Colossians. And so we need to be people who basically take this attitude. We don't abuse the signs and seals of the covenant, but we also don't abstain from them, and we don't hinder people from coming and partaking of them, because they are real and true signs and seals. And we ought to rejoice that we've been given them. So I want you to begin to think and rethink how we look at these things. Paul, as I said before, is declaring the new age, the new creation has begun. And now he's saying, look, and it's being inhabited by a new humanity. Not the humanity under the covenant where circumcision and where Passover had their sway. But rather, the reality of that covenant, if you will, the full expression of that covenant has come into play. And so new signs, which are bloodless, are given. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because the blood's been poured out. The sacrifice has been made. There's no more bloodletting that needs to be done. And so Paul says, remember that you were estranged from these people. But lest we go, like I said before, to a place where we actually denigrate 
the people of the circumcision, if you will, the Old Testament Jews, lest we denigrate those people, Paul now says, look at what you were held out from. He says, remember your deficiency. Look what he shows us here. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. What does he mean? What he means is, is that these Gentiles were separated from the Messianic king. That's what Christ, the anointed one of God. They were separated from him. Now some people want to take this passage and say, this is really talking about both Jews and Gentiles, and they both were separated from Christ. But that's not at all what Paul contextually is talking about here. He is specifically talking to Gentiles, saying, remember who you were, apart from the people of God, the Jews. Remember who you were. And the first thing you need to remember is, is that just like the Samaritan woman, you were cut off from Messiah because you had no part in the people of God. You had no part in Abraham's covenant. You had no part in God's saving purposes. You were outside the people. You were outside of Messiah's. And so here he reminds them and says, you need to remember that you were separated from the Savior. And you were separated from the prophet, the priest, and the king of Israel. Namely, Jesus himself. Of which everything pointed to in the Old Testament. To him, the Christ. They all look forward to the Christ. The Jewish, Jewishness, if you will, is found from being a person who is filled with the Spirit of the living God. Jesus himself takes this on when he says, when he's told that his mother and his brothers are outside waiting for him, he says, Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Who is my mother? All those sitting around me who do the will of God, they are my real They are, if you will, the true circumcision. Because circumcision is not merely about the cutting of the flesh. The cutting of the flesh is a sign of the fact that you had your heart circumcised. And Paul writes in Colossians about what that circumcision really is. In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And where was Christ circumcised? On the cross. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Do you hear that? Paul is saying, circumcision in this outward form is not that it was bad, but it's been abused. And the problem is, is that in the New Testament time, what we have is people who are constantly refusing covenant signs and seals to their children and others because what they're looking for is a correction of abuse. 
Since when has the correction of abuse ever been to completely abstain from the thing that's being abused? That's crazy thinking. And it's the same thing we do when we basically say with circumcision, Paul is not suggesting here that what he's saying is that the Old Testament people that gave it to their child on the eighth day and that all those who converted into them was some kind of bad thing. What he's saying is it's been abused. It's been wrongly used. And in fact, what he's trying to tell them now is it's almost not anything to talk about anymore because we've come into the new creation. We've come into the new people. We've come into the new kingdom. And there are new signs and there are new seals. But as I continue to tell you, men and women, there is a suspicion among God's people. And therefore, we have whole groups of people who deny children the sign and seal of the covenant. Why? Well, how do we know if they're really going to be believers? Well, how do we know people who make professions of faith and they're 25 years old are going to maintain faith? How do you know that 12-year-olds are going to maintain faith? How do you know a 5-year-old's going to maintain faith? How do you know that? How do you know a 70-year-old person that's set in pews for 50 years who finally walks down and says, you know, I've said it for 50 years. I was baptized when I was 12 years old. I prayed a prayer I've never really understood the gospel before. Again, I try to tell you, men and women, the signs and seals of the covenant, what Paul is not teaching here is a doctrine who says, until that person we really know they really have circumcision of the heart, then we might let them kind of really become special people in the church and we give them the signs and seals of covenant. Serpent. It's not what he's teaching here. He's teaching here is the fact that those who put their hope in the signs and seals over against what the sign points to. Circumcision was pointing to the cross. The sign that reminds us of the cross is baptism. Jesus was circumcised and baptized on the cross. His circumcision was the coming of his flesh. His baptism was his coming blood. And that's exactly what Paul teaches us in Colossians. So we need to be people who basically take this attitude. We don't abuse the signs and seals of the covenant, but we also don't abstain from them, and we don't hinder people from coming and partaking of them, because they are real and true signs and seals. And we ought to rejoice that we've been given them. So I want you to begin to think and rethink how we look at these things. Paul, as I said before, is declaring the new age, new creation has begun, and now he's saying, look, and it's being inhabited by a new humanity. 
the humanity under the covenant where circumcision and where Passover has their sway, rather the reality of that covenant, if you will, the full expression of that covenant has come into play. And so new signs, which are bloodless, are given. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because the blood's been poured out. The sacrifice has been made. There's no more blood letting that needs to be done. And so Paul says, remember that you are estranged from these people. But lest we go, like I said before, to a place where we actually denigrate the people of the circumcision, if you will, the Old Testament Jews, lest we denigrate those people, Paul now says, Look at what you were held out from. He says, remember your deficiency. Look what he shows us here. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. What does he mean? What he means is, is that these Gentiles were separated from the Messianic king. That's what Christ, the anointed one of God. They were separated from Him. Now some people want to take this passage and say, this is really talking about both Jews and Gentiles, and they both were separated from Christ. But that's not at all what Paul is talking about here. He is specifically talking to the Gentiles, saying, remember who you were, apart from the people of God, the Jews. Remember who you were. And the first thing you need to remember is, is that just like the Samaritan woman, you were cut off from Messiah because you had no part in the people of God. You had no part in Abraham's covenant. You had no part in God's saving purposes. You were outside the people. You were outside of Messiah. And so here he reminds them and says, you need to remember that you were separated from the Savior. And you were separated from the prophet, the priest, Israel, namely Jesus himself, of which everything pointed to in the Old Testament, to him, the Christ, they all look forward to the Christ. And so Paul says, don't have any illusion that you separate from Christ and the hope. The second thing he then points out to them is the fact that they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, it's not just that you weren't connected to the king, but you also were connected to the kingdom. You had no part in the kingdom. And here's just some of the things I want you to think about not being in the kingdom. 
No benefits of God's kingdom, which would include covenant instruction. Everything we've been talking about, why I've spent so much time in the preface to this passage, if you will, is because what I want you to understand is, is that when we are apart from God's people, we have no place in the instruction of how to rethink about life. If we don't start rethinking why, then we have nothing to demonstrate or show to other people. Because if you eat a meal the same way everybody else eats a meal, if you go to work the way everybody else goes to work, if you're married the way everybody else in the world is married, then what's the difference? Somehow Paul seems to think that there is a difference between how Christian single people think and live and non-Christian single people think and live. He seems to think there's a difference between how married Christian people think and live and how non-Christian people think and live. He seems to really believe that you, as a person, are called to rethink your obligations and your orientations. Not because of what the world says, because you're not of the world. And we need to come to terms with that. That's why you come to church. That's why it's even valuable to come to Sunday school and other such things, because you need to continue to have your mind reoriented to the things of God and the people of God. They're not a, it's not should be onerous to you to come to Sunday school. It should be onerous to you to be in a Bible study or something else that would actually be a benefit to you. It ought to be a privilege and a joy. Also, he talks about this. There's no covenant blessings. You're apart from the blessings of God. You're apart from the fellowship of God's people. And women, there are some of you in this church that are hurting deeply 